0: of the third kind
1: welcome to theories of the third kind my name is aaron and i am one of your hosts there's another host that's joining me today daniel son hello now before we start today's episode i just want to say that no AI programs were used or harmed in the creation of this episode. The research for this show and all of its work was created solely by humans. And we kind of say that, so in case, you know, the AI takes over the world, they're not like, oh, you used us for your podcast. We will now take you out. Yeah. So if you would like to support the show, then there's a few ways that you
0: could do that. One of the ways is Patreon. Each week, we release a Patreon-exclusive episode that only Patreon supporters can get access to. To sign up, it's only $5 a month, which is only 16 cents a day. Not only do you get an extra episode per week for that $5, but you also get access to our entire back catalog of past Patreon episodes. In total, we
1: have over 162 extra Patreon episodes, which is a lot of extra hours for your listening pleasure. Now, to see this full list of Patreon episodes, you can go to our website. TheoriesOfTheThirdKind.com and click on the Patreon Episodes tab. There is the entire list of past Patreon-exclusive episodes that we have published.
0: Also, today we added another Patreon-exclusive episode, which is over the Philadelphia Experiment. And it's about the U.S. Navy conducting a secret experiment in 1943 where a ship ended up teleporting from Philadelphia all the way to Virginia and back with supposed eyewitness accounts. So you get access to that episode, as well as all of the others, for just $5. Now,
1: if you can't afford a Patreon membership, but you want to help us out, then you can leave us a written review on
0: iTunes or on Spotify. And that helps us out a lot. However, don't feel pressured to leave us one. If you don't want to, then that's fine. We just want you guys, girls, aliens, reptilians, Bigfoot, Sasquatches, Chupacabras, ghosts, Illuminati members, underground lizard people, whoever or whatever you are, to enjoy the show. And that is the end of the announcements.
1: So today's episode is over the Montauk Project, and how this episode will go is that we'll talk about what is the Montauk Project, and then we'll get into Camp Hero, the story of the Montauk Project, strange facts and findings, theories, and of course, wrap it all up with our own personal thoughts and theories. So with that being said, let's get into
0: today's episode. In 1942, the United States built a coastal defense installation in New York called Camp Hero. For
1: decades, rumors spread throughout the town of homeless children being abducted from the streets, taken to Camp Hero, and being forced to take part in mind control tests and hallucinogenic drug experiments.
0: In addition to the rumors, There was gossip amongst the community that the camp also contained underground laboratories with unimaginable technologies that pushed the boundaries of human comprehension and even manipulated the very fabric of time and space, creating portals to other times and dimensions.
1: Are these merely wild science fiction fantasies or are they uncanny truths masked behind the veil of secrecy and disinformation. This is the Montauk Project. Alright, if you have listened to us for some time now, then you know that on previous episodes, we have used what we call our Montauk chairs. Now these Montauk chairs of ours are used to travel back in time to experience that certain situation or event firsthand. So, this project that we are going to discuss today is where the idea for these chairs came from, okay? But what
0: is this Montauk project
1: exactly?
0: Well, this project supposedly started back in the 1970s in Montauk Point, New York, specifically at an Air Force base there called Montauk Air Force Station. At this Air Force Station, this secret Montauk project involved various experiments being performed, such as mind control techniques. Like MK Ultra. Now, I do want to say that
1: Project MKUltra did not specifically happen here, but they did dabble in it.
0: Oh, yeah. Now, it is worth noting that this Montauk project wasn't just mind control, like we said. They also were supposedly working on time travel as well as teleporting objects from one place to another and even going for interdimensional
1: travel. So that right there is pretty much what the Montauk project is. Now that we know the basics, let's hop deeper into the story and talk about Camp Hero. So, Dan, can you start that off for us?
0: Of course. So, for us to talk about this entire project in Camp Hero, we first need to discuss what happened in 1941, specifically on the morning of December 7th, 1941. On that day, the Japanese launched a surprise military attack on the U.S. Pacific Fleet stationed at the Pearl Harbor in Hawaii. This attack was meticulously planned, and Japanese aircraft,
1: including bombers and torpedo planes, descended upon the United States naval base. Now this attack lasted approximately two hours, and resulted in the destruction of several battleships, cruisers, aircraft, and over 2,400 American lives with over 1,100 wounded.
0: Of course this attack shocked the United States and the following day on December 8th 1941 President Franklin D Roosevelt went in front of Congress and asked for a declaration of war against Japan. Congress was like, Fuck yeah." And the United States formally entered World War II. Now, it is worth noting that Germany
1: and Italy, they were homies with Japan at the time. They were all three pretty tight. Now, Germany and Italy heard about the United States declaring war on their friend Japan. And they said, you know what? We, as in Germany and Italy, declare war on the United States.
0: Now, due to the attack on Pearl Harbor, the United States entering World War II and the United States being concerned about the possibility of German U-boats, you know, submarines, operating near the American coastline, imposing a threat to shipping and coastal infrastructure, the U.S. decided to start building a coastal defense system. So
1: in 1942, in Montauk, New York, Among 455 acres of heavily wooded area along the Atlantic coast, the United States built Camp Hero. Now, this camp was a coastal defense installation, and it was meant to protect against potential enemy naval attacks.
0: Now, this defense system at Camp Hero contained three gun batteries. Now, gun batteries are not the batteries you initially think about. You know, they're not the ones that you place inside your little toys or your remote control (laughs) or that kind of toy. These batteries are large caliber weapons used to fire missiles and other things at boats or planes.
1: Yep. And like Dan said, these gun batteries were installed and there were approximately three of them that were installed. Two of them were 16-inch guns and the other one had two 6-inch guns. Now, along with these offensive weapons the army also built multiple military structures. It's not the size of the gun, it's how you use
0: it. Yeah, okay. (laughs) So something worth noting is that this entire Camp Hero was designed to look like a coastal fishing village, not a military installation. The military structures were designed to look like cottages and had fake wood siding and painted on windows.
1: All right, so let's fast forward five years later to 1947. World War II was over, And the Army didn't really have a need for this Camp Hero anymore, so they deactivated the base and removed its
0: coastal artillery. Four years later, in 1951, Camp Hero was transferred to the Air Force. They began conducting anti-aircraft artillery training at the camp. Now a short time later, a huge radar tower was installed. Now
1: this radar tower was a part of the SAGE radar stations. Now, there were 12 radar stations across the United States that were a part of this SAGE, S-A-G-E, which was the first automated air defense computer network system that was all connected together.
0: Now, the radar tower installed at Campiro was like the mother station, and the rest of them were a series of smaller ones located in the ocean along the East Coast. This network of towers is said to have afforded the U.S. government an extra 30 minutes of warning time in the event of an incoming Soviet nuclear attack.
1: And we actually have a photograph of this tower that was at Camp Hero, and we'll have that on our website for anyone that wants to take a look at it. Just head to theoriesofthethirdkind.com and click on today's episode, and it will be right there. That's a big-ass tower, by the way. It's 90 feet tall, 40 feet wide. That
0: is actually a pretty big tower. Yeah.
1: All right, so when this radar tower was operating at Camp Hero, it would rotate every 12 seconds now it is said that the people and animals who lived near it would start having headaches and their electronic equipment in their home would often go haywire however that's just a theory and we're going to save that for our theory section
0: now the air force remained active at campiro until 1982 then in 1984 Land that the camp was on was deemed environmentally important due to its ecosystems and the animal life. so that entire area was donated to the National Park Service. Following that, the National Park Service transferred ownership to the New York State Parks Department, and then in 2002, the Camp Hero State Park officially opened up to the public.
1: Now, as of today, the entire National park is over 755 acres. It features forest, freshwater wetlands, and bluffs with excellent views of the Atlantic Ocean. Visitors can drive, bicycle, horseback ride, or even walk along the paved roads of the former
0: military base. Does that mean they still have like the fake sightings and stuff on the buildings? So it looks like a little village. Yep. Nice. So over the years, the United States Army Corps of Engineers have been working to help ensure that the park is safe for visitors. They charge an entrance fee of $8 per person and give out brochures explaining what to do if you happen to come across an unexploded ordnance, you know, AK bomb, landmine, bullet, grenade, while you're walking around this park.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, with that type of warning on a brochure, you would assume that, hey, maybe this place is not safe to visit. However, the brochure does state that the public is not in any danger and that the work by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers helps assure that Camp Hero is free from any hazards that may remain as a result of the camp's military past. So it's not like there's bombs or grenades just everywhere. Supposedly, they put that on there as like a, hey, just in case you happen to stumble upon one. I mean, if you stumble upon a landmine, (laughs) it's not much stumbling upon it, okay? Yeah.
0: Now, it is worth noting, though, that the majority of the military buildings are still located at Camp Hero. However, all of them are closed and locked up. And they have, like, big-ass do-not-enter closed to public on them.
1: Yeah. And they're all really run down, so it looks like a zombie village of sorts. You know, like off of the movie I Am Legend with Will Smith.
0: I wonder if that place would be a good place to go for a zombie apocalypse,
1: then. Mmm, I doubt it. It's so run down. Probably not.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So in regards to the radar tower, that big ass bitch is still there. The 90 foot tall concrete tower and its 40 foot wide still dish are visible for miles. However, just like the rest of the military installation, it is no longer active. Now it is worth noting that there used to be 12 of those big ass towers scattered around the country. And this one at Camp Hero is the last one that remains, standing tall. And it is instantly recognizable as a Long Island landmark. So a lot of people will say, hey, I know that tower or that radar tower or that radar dish.
0: That's at Camp Hero. That thing messed with my TV back then. (laughs) So there you go. I mean, it's kind of weird that they would just leave that one. Very strange.
1: I got some theories behind it, but we'll save that for our theory section.
0: All right. So now that we know about the history of Camp Hero, but where does the Montauk Project and all the experiments with weird shit come into play? Well, for decades, rumors spread among the people living in the area around Camp Hero, rumors of the military base being a location where the United States government conducted top-secret research projects.
1: Now, these rumors were pretty baseless. That was until 1992, when Preston B. Nichols and Peter Moon published a book titled The Montauk Project, Experiments in Time. Now in this book, Preston Nichols states that this project did not start at Camp Hero, but instead it started at a different location under the name of the Phoenix Project.
0: This Phoenix project supposedly focused on weather control, psychotronics, and other exotic research such as time travel. Suddenly, this project was shut down, and many of the scientists involved in it were moved to the Montauk Air Force Station, where they started the Montauk project and continued their research. And just a little FYI, we are going to go a little deeper into the Phoenix project during Strange Facts and Findings. Just, just wanted everyone to know and keep that in mind.
1: All right, moving forward. So, in this book, Preston Nichols states that in the 1960s, he worked on Camp Hero's semi-automatic ground environment, a.k.a. SAGE radar tower. That big-ass radar tower. Now, allegedly, beneath this radar tower are a series of tunnels that connect to secret laboratories. Now, in these labs, government scientists were performing sadistic experiments.
0: Thousands of children were allegedly taken from the streets. Now they were kept in these underground laboratories, abused and programmed. These scientists would use powerful frequencies and tap into the consciousness to control the minds of these children and turn them into super soldiers known as the Montauk Boys.
1: Preston Nichols also claimed in the 1970s and 80s that he was a leader of a psychotronics movement. This is where government agents were using electromagnetic radiation to transmit ideas directly into people's heads.
0: Another claim that Preston talks about that occurred at Gampiro is time travel experiments. A key component of these time travel experiments was a device that he called the Montauk chair.
1: Now this chair was supposedly developed with alien technology and could enhance the psychic abilities of certain individuals. Now, when these gifted individuals sat in the chair, their thoughts could reportedly materialize physical objects. Like they would sit in the chair, really concentrate on an object, and it would materialize. Not only physically, but visually as well. Sometimes it could just pop it up as it being like a visual hologram, and other times it could actually materialize something real.
0: Just think, they were probably starving those boys, and those boys were like, damn, I'd love a burger. I was thinking an apple for some reason. Now, with intense concentration, these gifted individuals sitting in the Montauk chair were able to create a vortex that opened a gateway. The government then started experimenting with these gateways and discovered that they could send individuals to different time periods to observe historical events and sometimes even alter them.
1: Also, the government learned that the gateways not only sent people to the past, but could send people to the future as well. They started sending groups of individuals into the future to gather information and technology. Preston also stated that on some occasions, these gateways had extraterrestrial entities cross over into our world and interact with the scientists in which the government was able to collect alien technology.
0: Now, one of the last things that Preston claimed in his book is that his Montauk project is linked to the supposed Philadelphia experiment. Now, this Philadelphia experiment is another supposed government project that in 1943, the United States Navy caused the USS Eldridge to become invisible and teleport from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, to Norfolk, Virginia.
1: Preston claims that the same techniques that were used on that experiment Were used at Montauk. Now, if you want to know more about the Philadelphia Experiment, we covered it on our Patreon episode today. So if you are not a member, you can just go to our website, click on the Patreon link, and just for $5, you can become a supporter and get access to that episode, as well as all of our 160-plus previous Patreon-exclusive episodes. So there you go.
0: Boom. All right. So that is pretty much the claims as to what the Montauk Project is, where all the information came from, which of course was from a book published in 1992. Now, a lot of people will automatically discredit these claims because of that, but it is important to remember that during this time period, there were a lot of secret testing going on by the United States government that they were not telling anyone about. For example, in 1953, the CIA began a program called MKUltra that lasted over 20 years.
1: Which we did a previous episode
0: over. Correct. Now, this was a top-secret government program where drugs were developed for interrogation and mind-control purposes and then given to prisoners, students, hospital patients, and even their own military personnel, sometimes without them even knowing.
1: Yeah. So, needless to say, we cannot automatically discredit Preston Nichols's claims. However, we cannot take them for face value either. We must do our research into them and see if this Montauk project really existed. And that is what we did. So this is where we transition into our strange facts and findings section of the episode, where we talk about all of the weird stuff that we came across while researching into this topic. So Dan, do you want to start us off and tell us about this first strange fact and finding?
0: All right, so the first strange fact and finding is about the Phoenix Project and Project Rainbow. So like we stated earlier, this Phoenix Project studied psychotronics, black hole simulations, and even weather control. Now back in the day,
1: supposedly with the help of Wilhelm Reich, the United States government created a device called the Radiosonde. Now this was a small device that was suspended below a balloon that was filled with either hydrogen or helium. Now, as it floated through the sky, it measured pressure, temperature,
0: and humidity. Reminds me of all the weather balloons that we've had lately. Yeah. All right. Preston stated that this device did not do any of those supposed readings, but instead it was used to detect organ energy or dead
1: organ energy. Preston also stated that dead organ energy affected how a storm developed. For an example, If there was more dead organ energy in the sky and a storm was developing, well, that storm would be more violent.
0: So this device would actually help balance the energy to stop storms from developing into violent tornado dwelling ones. However, it could be used to do the complete opposite thing. It could cause storms to become violent tornado dwelling son of a bitches. Now, something to add to this is that back around
1: that time period, multiple people, were reporting that the weather was wonky as hell. For an example, there was a snowstorm in August. In New York. Yeah, in August. What the hell? Uh, Another thing that was being reported is that when these big storms would hit the Montauk area, for some reason, they would go around the Montauk Air Force Station completely, which people were like, eh, that's really
0: weird. So around this same time in the 1940s, during the Phoenix Project, Project Rainbow started, which is also called the Philadelphia Experiment. This project was the United States government dealing with electromagnetic technology, which actually resulted in the development of today's stealth fighter crafts. And
1: supposedly in the 1950s, it was decided that what was left of Project Rainbow and the Phoenix Project You know, we should take whatever was left and combine them under the same umbrella with the study on the human factor, which is what the Phoenix Project used to refer to all the different types of experiments and such. So after a few years, they dropped the name of the Phoenix Project, and it supposedly turned into the Montauk Project. And that's how it came to be. And all of that information is straight from Preston Nichols. So, yeah, there you go
0: guy has a lot of information
1: he does he does including this next uh strange fact and finding which i find extremely
0: interesting this one was pretty interesting so this next strange fact and finding is about alistair crowley and an alien race from the sirius constellation called the syrians so in preston Nichols' book he states that in the montauk project the syrians aka the aliens that they are the ones that provided the montauk chair to the humans for their time experiments.
1: The Syrian aliens were supposedly technical creatures and were not very political. They looked human in some aspects, as they were muscular, but they had vertical slit
0: eyes like kitty cats. Meow. These Syrians also wore wigs and a covering over their wigs so that they could blend in more. (laughs) Who does that remind you
1: of? Oh, David. David Huggins. We did a Patreon episode over him and, uh, He's an individual who is known in New Jersey uh, for sleeping with multiple aliens and I say sleeping as in sexual intercourse and uh, he painted all of these aliens he had sexual intercourse with and majority of them wore black wigs so hey we might be onto something here New Jersey it's close to where they were at maybe they crossed over during these montauk experiments and found David and was like hey Get some David while we're here.
0: I mean, that's true. Anyways. All right, so let's continue on. Sorry. Nope. you're good. So these Syrians, you know, they were usually six feet tall in height and they could pass for humans if they wore the proper attire.
1: So like we stated, uh, these weird ass aliens gave the government the Montauk chair. However, the government couldn't use it to its full potential because they pretty much didn't know how to.
0: Now in his book, Preston states that a mysterious man who was involved with the negotiation between the Syrians and the government stated that the government needed Alistair Crowley and his ability to make the Montauk chair work. Supposedly, Alistair had the ability to manipulate time, which I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, you know when he did that uh, six-month ritual down at Loch Ness? Is that when he gained the powers? Supposedly. And that's when he saw Lamb, too, that alien.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. has
1: been so long. So, to prove that, you know, Alistair had this ability, he supposedly demonstrated it, which he was the reason for the Philadelphia Experiment happening. Well, not him fully, but without him, it was not possible for the Philadelphia Experiment to happen. Like, he was one of the main, you know, factors in it. So then, during the Montauk Project, the results of the Philadelphia Experiment were used to operate the Montauk Chair. Like their intense concentration. That's interesting. Yeah. So that is the Alistair Crowley and extraterrestrial strange fact and finding right there. Or Alistair Crowley. Whichever way you pronounce it. Crowley Crowley.
0: Meh. To each their own. Yep. On to our next strange fact and finding, which is about the Montauk monster. Now, before we get into this. We need to state that supposedly there was a really big monster that destroyed things inside of the Montauk Air Force Base. This Montauk monster, though, that we're talking about is not that monster. But instead, it is a creature that washed ashore onto the beach of Montauk, New York.
1: So in 2008, a woman named Jenna Hewitt was at the beach of Montauk, New York with some friends. She was just looking for a place to sit, listening to the Spice Girls on her CD player when all of a sudden, she saw some people looking at something on the ground. She walked over there, lo and behold, it was a carcass of a weird-looking animal that had been washed ashore. Now, a picture of this creature was sent to the local news station, who ended up running a story about it, and they called this creature the New Montauk Monster. And, of course, we have the uh, photograph of this creature. And we'll have it on our website for anyone that wants to take a look at it. It looks like a dog laying down on a beach with not a dog head, but a bird head. It has a bird beak for sure. It looks like a beak. Yeah, it has a bird beak. (laughs) It looks like it's got a blonde wig. (laughs) Oh, it kind of (laughs) does. And it's got like hooves, hooves. And it looks like it's just taking a little
0: nap. Oh no! It kind of looks like long finger claws. It just has like a bunch of sand on it. Yeah, could be that. Whatever it is, it looks really weird. Yeah. So, of course, the story of this creature went viral, and people started speculating as to what it could be. Like we were just doing. Some individuals thought that it might have been a raccoon with its upper jaw missing. Others stated that it might have been a huge rodent, a capybara, coyote, sea turtle, or even a sheep. That's not a sheep. It's definitely not a f***ing sea turtle. (laughs) It's
1: not a sea turtle either. So only a short time after that, uh, rumors started to spread that the carcass was taken away and no one knew who took it or where they took it to. Now, something to add to this is that some people believe that it was a movie prop from the movie Splinterheads. Now, when looking into that, the movie was being filmed near there. However, there is no proof to it, you know, being a movie prop. It's just speculation. So, yeah.
0: One thing I did read up on is that on the Splinterheads website, which is like a weird old website, they actually posted this creature on there and they were thinking one of, like, the cast members. But then, like, soon after they posted on there, they took it off and deleted it. Hmm. So, a lot of people were just like, it was on there. It was on their site. And I think that's where it led to, maybe this is a marketing scheme.
1: Maybe. But you have to remember, nearby is Plum Island, where the government tests a bunch of uh, stuff on animals. That's true. This could have been like an experiment gone wrong, and the animal made a mad dash for the ocean,
0: died, and then floated ashore. Yeah. Now, do you know about the, the story of the real Montauk monster? No, do you? Kind of. All
1: right, let's hear it. Now, before we get into that, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now.
0: All right, welcome back. So this is what they say actually ended the Montauk project, was that they had... Some strong psychic sitting in the chair. He opened up a portal and a huge monster came through. Of course, the person that, you know, summoned it could not control it. It went crazy. It started destroying a bunch of shit. Then I think it escaped outside. And then by that time, I think they had to unplug the Montauk chair or something like that. Or pretty much destroy it to where it cut the connection and I think the beast just like kind of disappeared.
1: Or maybe it turned into Bigfoot.
0: That was my original theory way back in 2019.
1: That the Montauk monster is actually Bigfoot.
0: Yep, he escaped and that's how he was summoned here. That's why there's no other Bigfoots. Well, I say that there's like only one, but there's probably multiple.
1: Yeah, he went off and banged some gorillas and now he has a bunch of offspring. Yeah. Half gorilla, half Bigfoots. Anyways, so that right there is that strange fact and finding. Let's get on to our next one which is about Andy Pero, which is supposedly a Montauk victim. So in August of 1998, Preston Nichols was giving a lecture, and he stated that, hey, I have a special guest joining me. This special guest is Andy. He is a victim of the Montauk
0: Project. Around this time, Eve Lorgan, who wrote for The Unknown Magazine, she heard about this, and she requested an interview with Andy. During the interview, Andy talked about where he was from and how the government started torturing him at the age of two. Two? Like two years old? At the age of two. Damn, government's ruthless. Yeah, especially the torture treatments that they did. It would include, like, shock treatments to cause severe trauma to separate his mind from his body. This way, the mind can be then split into several parts that can later be programmed to do superhuman feats. Which reminds me of the movie Split again. Yeah, Edwick. My name's is Edwick. And then you have the Beast, which he had superhuman feats. Yeah.
1: Damn. So we do have this entire interview between Eve and Andy, and it is extremely long. Of course, we don't have the time to go over the entire thing, but we have picked out a few notable questions and answers that we're going to go over. So, Dan, do you want to be Eve? Or do you want to be the victim of the Montauk Project, Andy?
0: Ooh, I don't know.
1: Do you want to be the interviewer or the victim?
0: I'll be the interviewer. You can be the victim.
1: All right. So Dan will be Eve, the interviewer, and I will be Andy, the Montauk Project victim. All right. And here we go.
0: Who are the people running these secret programs, like the Monarch and Montauk Projects? And where do they conduct their activities?
1: Our own government. One of my handlers, who tried to brainwash me into believing that he was my father, was basically a Nazi. I nicknamed him Adolf, because he is very Aryan looking.
0: (laughs) These are his answers, okay?
1: Sorry, I don't mean to laugh. Okay, back into character. After World War II, many Nazi scientists were brought over to the United States, through our own intelligence community, who formerly worked in mind control research in the concentration camps. I believe they are a remnant of the Nazi party working in conjunction with different branches of the U.S. government and the military. Much of my training and torture sessions were done right at the University of Rochester, New York. They used to take me to a private room in the attic or top floor of the library. The big lab, where I had most of the programming done to me at, was at the Rome National Air Base in Rome, New York. I have also been used in the Montauk chair while at Camp Hero, Montauk, and also in a chair in Atlanta, Georgia at Dobbins Air Force Base. The Montauk facility located in Camp Hero was reopened by the Department of the Navy and is active to this day.
0: Are there any others like yourself who have had similar training and experiences? I think there are
1: thousands of other children and people who are used and may end up missing. Many die in the process. They are considered expendable. The ones who can survive the most rigorous programming live on to become what are known as the Montauk boys. In general, the boys and young men are trained to be couriers assassins, and super soldiers, and even psychic killers. The women are mostly used as sex agents.
0: Now, tell me more about your involvement in the Montauk Project itself.
1: I was involved in an offshoot of the Montauk Project called the Montauk Chair. Basically, the Montauk Chair was developed to give the human and spirit a zero point of reference to facilitate time travel. What the chair essentially does is separate the mind from the body. The chair's operator's thoughts and vibrational energy is picked up by umbrella-looking antennas above the chair, sent to a computer, over to a processor, then amplified several hundred times. The information is sent to a network of free energy crystals arranged in a circle then whatever thoughts were amplified for an example a time period you know a wormhole would then open up in the room the wormhole was as large as 16 to 18 feet across and it was even sometimes large enough for a truck to go through
0: so there you have it that right there is just part of the interview There is quite a bit more of it, but since we are crunched on time, we are just going to post a link to it on our website for anyone that wants to take a look at it. That's a
1: big-ass time wormhole. 16 to 18 feet across? God dang.
0: Like I said, this is all from like Preston Nichols and Hearsay. Like he said, they would think about a time period and a wormhole would open up. Supposedly, they did this for missions to help win the war. Well, World War II. They did this to win World War II. I uh, man, I don't want to get into it, but I kind of
1: believe it. As weird as this is, I mean, this is kind of believable.
0: Yeah, they said that the many kids that were lost, they used them as couriers to go through these portals. They weren't allowed to talk to anybody or say anything, mess with anything other than deliver a letter to someone on the other side, which then helped them win the war.
1: Imagine if you could find those letters. I wonder what they would say. <laughs> kind of like Dwight Troop. Don't drink the coffee. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's get into our next strange fact and finding, which is about the Brookhaven National Labs. So I know what you're thinking. What the hell is the Brookhaven National Labs? Well, it is supposedly where some of the scientists that worked on the Montauk project came from. So we decided to dig into this place and see what we could find.
0: So, what we found out is that Brookhaven is a United States Department of Energy national laboratory located in Upton, Long Island. It was established in 1947 at Camp Upton, which was a former Army base and also a Japanese internment camp.
1: This Brookhaven lab is staffed with over 2,500 scientists, engineers, and technicians. It also has support personnel, and they host around 4,000 guest investigators every year. This lab spans over 5,200 acres of area and it has its own personal rail system. Now they study nuclear and high energy physics, environmental and climate research, nanomaterials, energy research, accelerator physics, and much more. Etc.
0: cetera. Et cetera. So this place is so damn big that they even have their own police force, and it's like a town of its own, and you can't get onto the property without special access. They also have a few particle accelerators like CERN does, which makes you wonder if they've opened any portals there as well. Yeah, and you know what? It's only
1: 40 miles away from Camp Hero. Yep. So when we looked deeper into this Brookhaven lab, we also found out that they had an incident in January of 1997. Groundwater samples were taken by the BNL staff there. Now, these samples revealed that there were concentrations of tritium that were twice the allowable federal drinking water standards. So when they first took the samples, they were like, eh, it's only, you know, it's only twice the amount of the allowable, you know, standards. So they decided, hey, let's take some more samples, which was a <laughs> wrong thing to do. So they took more samples. And these samples showed that they were actually 32 times over the standard federal limit. (laughs) Not twice, but 32 times.
0: That's a big difference right there. Hell yeah, it is. They ended up finding the source of the leak, which was from the lab's high flux beam reactor spent fuel pool into the aquifer that provides drinking water for nearby residents. So
1: they were sucking up that tritium, baby. That they were. Yeah. So other than that, I mean, we couldn't really find any other suspicious things about this laboratory. However, we did notice that some of their major studies did coincide with the Phoenix and Montauk project. So that was sort of interesting.
0: Yeah, so now you can kind of understand why some of the scientists, I guess, got involved with it, because they were probably already studying some of that stuff. Yep. That is true. Yeah, but I think they uh who was it? The Department of Energy, they're spending like 580 million on cleanup still. I think they're actually still cleaning up. Of the tritium spill? Yeah. Good lord. Yeah, that's a lot of a lot of dough right
1: there. Yeah, it is. All right, Dean, so why don't you tell us about this next strange fact
0: I'm finding. Now, before we get into that, we're going to take a quick break. It's our last one, so don't go nowhere. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it?
1: Leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you.
0: All right, welcome back. So this next strange fact I'm finding is about government documents. Now, when we looked into this project, we wanted to see if there were any leaked government documents that were relevant to the Montauk experiments. And surprisingly, we did come across some.
1: For an example, in a 1977 report by the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, a.k.a. the Church Committee, they found that the CIA had conducted a number of mind control experiments, including some that involved the use of LSD, a.k.a. MKUltra. Now, the report also found that the CIA had funded research into time travel, but it did not specify where this research was
0: conducted. Yeah, that's interesting. hmm To add to this strangeness, an individual by the name of Mr. Greenwald requested a copy of the 2017 case logs, appeal logs, and declassification logs. The government ended up sending him 97 pages which contained a list of all kinds of documents However, they are not in electronic format
1: yet. So as we went through this 97-page list, we stumbled across one interesting record. On CIA record F as in Foxtrot, 2018 TAC 00275, it states, and we quote, CIA records pertaining to the Montauk Project, end quote. Now, if the Montauk project was not a real project, like the government
0: said, then why would they have classified documents on it? I honestly cannot wait to see when that document is released, because I want to know. We're going to be
1: far, long gone, man. They're not going to release it like 100, 200 years from now. Yeah, that's true. We'll come back. We'll race from the dead to read the documents and then go back.
0: Oh, I knew it. <laughs>
1: All right. Why don't you get us into this next strange fact of finding?
0: All right. So this next strange fact I'm finding is about the show Stranger Things, which Aaron, have you watched that show at all?
1: I have. I watched the entire show and uh well, except for the last season.
0: I think I didn't see the last two seasons of it. I mean, it's a decent show, you know. It's decent.
1: It's not great, but it's not bad.
0: It's kinda of, it kinda of reminds me of the movie It, the new one. Oh where god. They always yeah. have like the comedic relief and all that stuff.
1: I hate that. I hate the comedic relief. Look, if you're going to have kids in the movies and you want to make it real, right, these kids aren't going to be busting jokes about boobies or dicks or stuff like that like they did in The It. If there was a killer clown coming after you, no, they'd be crying and running away in fear. They wouldn't all be getting together being like,
0: hey, we're going to stop this clown. That's why I couldn't watch Cocaine Bear.
1: uh -uh. Something's wrong with the movie industry right now where they think comedic relief is the way to go, and I hate it. Yeah. That's why I like that movie, uh, Seder. That was a good movie. That was an extremely good movie, and scary, too. It was. Anyway, all right, so tell us about this Stranger Thing.
0: All right, so in case you haven't seen it, Stranger Things is a TV show on Netflix about the United States government taking kids and conducting experiments on them. Originally, the show was going to be called Montauk because the TV show story was actually inspired by the supposed U.S. military project called the Montauk Project. Now, I know it doesn't get its inspiration fully from the Montauk Project. A lot of people say that they got their inspiration from some Stephen King novels, H.P. Lovecraft, and others like that.
1: But it seems like a lot of it came from the Montauk Project.
0: The Montauk Monster is supposedly the
1: Demogorgon? The Montauk Chair, the use in concentration to... Make things appear. Kids. Yeah, the kids using concentration to make wormholes appear into another dimension. I mean, come on now. The upside down? Yeah. If I was Preston Nichols, I would be going after Stranger Things looking for a cut of some royalties because they
0: pretty much used his story. I mean, yeah, they did because he's the one that brought, technically he's the one that brought forth the Montauk Project.
1: Yeah. All right. So let's get into our last strange fact and finding which is about one of the Montauk boys. So an individual in Michigan named Stuart Swordlow ended up coming forward and claiming that he was one of these so-called Montauk boys. Now, Stuart did an interview for a news article in which he said,
0: and we quote, When the experiment started, they targeted expendable boys like orphans, runaways, or the children of drug addicts, the kind of kids no one would really come looking for. The aim was to fracture their mind so they could program you. They would change the temperature from very hot to very cold, starve you, and then overfeed you. I remember being beaten with a wooden pole. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, go ahead. And they loved to hold your head underwater until you nearly drowned. That was effective. It makes a person likely to listen to and obey their rescuer. They also used LSD to put our brains into an altered state And let's not forget the sexual abuse. Oh, good God.
1: By the way, I wasn't laughing at the fact of a child getting beat by a wooden pole, okay?
0: It's just the extremes of what they did.
1: Yeah, well, a long time ago, I got beat with a wooden paddle. But not by a family. Well, by my brother, who's only a few years older than me. You know how my my boat at camp has the wooden paddles on the side, just in case, you know, my engine cuts out and I can paddle in? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he got off one of those, uh, he got one of those wooden paddles off the side of my boat and hit me across the fucking head with it. Yeah, and beat the shit out of me with it. Damn, what'd you do to him?
0: Kicked him in the nuts. Anyway, I was super young. I mean, I got beat with tree branches that we had to go pick ourselves.
1: You know, CTE. We got advanced CTE. Yeah. Anyway, so that right there is our last strange fact and finding, which is about Stuart Swerdlow and his, uh, quote about being a Montauk boy.
0: And if it was true that they used orphans runaways and kids of drug addicts they said that a lot of people that you know were involved with the montauk said that it was almost like 10,000 kids that were used during this project that's a
1: lot of kids
0: yeah and i know earlier you asked me you know when you saw that you're just like we should see how many kids went missing during that time period i couldn't really find an exact number but i did find an article that stated that Ronald Reagan said from the like n- late 1970s to the 1980s, million kids went missing per year during that period.
1: That's a lot of missing kids. Yeah. How does no one notice
0: that? I don't know. I mean, I, there can't be that many orphans, runaways, or children of drug addicts. But... They're cloning them. No, I, I did see one chart that there's a lot of kids that run away. Yeah, there is. Like every year there's at least 20,000 that run away. Yeah.
1: Well, I guess that kind of rolls us into theories. Oh, joy. (laughs) All right. So our first theory that we're going to talk about is called it was real. So this first theory is that the Montauk project was real. So Preston, Stewart, and the others really were involved with this secretive project that used at least 10,000 kids for testing. After they were done with the testing, or when the project got shut down by the government, they used ways with MKUltra to erase or block everyone's memory that was involved with the project, so that they would have no recollection of it. Some believe that this project is still going on, but has changed locations. So that's the first theory. And to add on to this, on my way home earlier, I was listening to an old Art Bell episode from, I think it was like May 27th, 1994. He had Preston Nichols on his show, Art Bell did. And if you don't know who Art Bell is or was, he was a talk show host who hosted the show Coast to Coast AM. And uh, he's like the godfather of conspiracy talk, okay? So he was talking to Preston Nichols, and Preston said that whenever the government got done using these kids if they weren't killed then they would have their memories erased and how they would do it is that they would take certain radio frequencies and they would make the frequencies change from 420 to 4 something like 420 to 470 hop back and forth in synchronization and then somehow insert this Thought pattern to erase the brain since the brain works on like an electrical frequency or something. The way he explained it was good. And I'm horrible at explaining it because I know nothing about frequencies. Okay. But basically, is what he's saying is that they use some radio waves on a certain frequency to wipe a certain portion of an individual's brain and then reinsert them into society with, you know, different thoughts and beliefs. So sort of like what the Men in Black do, you know, or the the movie, The Men in Black with Will Smith. They'd hold up the thing and then bloop, it'd flash and then they'd tell you what just happened instead uh, of the neuralizer. Yeah. So that's what he stated, is that they would get the their memory wiped if they weren't killed. And he did state that the project was still going on. And that was in 94. I don't know if you ever tried it. The Montauk project?
0: Yeah, you know, sat in their chair. No, no, there was like a. It was like a phase back in high school, I believe, that somebody made audio like files that if you lay down in bed and like there were certain ones, like say if you wanted to feel high, they had one for that. They had one for if you wanted to feel drunk like that and you would download it, lay in bed, put your headphones in and you would listen to this file and there were no words. It was just different frequencies and vibrations.
1: Was it like oscillating like whoa. Yes.
0: Yes. Yes, I did. And after a while, like you're supposed to lay there, let it finish. And then when you get up, open your eyes. Whichever effect that you picked is what you're supposed to be feeling. Which I admit I did the drunk one. When I got up, I did not like it. <laughs> so I don't know. It does mess with your brain some. Uh I remember
1: trying it. I don't really remember which one I listened to or what happened. Maybe it served its purpose and made me forget everything, but I know I, I downloaded some of those files from Kazaa, you know? Yep. I didn't have Napster. I had Kazaa, and I downloaded them illegally, okay? Ares Galaxy is the one I used. Ah, uh, okay. There was another one of, like, some bear or something.
0: Oh, it had, like, a green emblem? I, I know what you're talking about,
1: though. Yeah, but uh, anyways, I downloaded a couple of those, tried them out. I can't really remember what happened, but yeah. Hey, if you or a loved one tried those uh, media files out, send us an email. Let us know what you tried out and how it worked out for you. Hell yeah. All right, so let's get on to this next theory.
0: All right, so this next theory is called Made Up. Now, the Philadelphia Experiment happened in, what, 1941, 43, something like that. You know, we talk more about that in the Patreon. But they ended up making a movie about it. And it wasn't until after the Philadelphia Experiment movie came out that some people started to say that they were getting their memory back of this happening. Then Preston wrote a book on him regaining his memory. The more he looked into things, he was meeting people who remembered him working at Montauk, but he had no recollection of them. And then most of his things in his book aren't all hearsay with, oh, this person remembered me working with them there, but I have no recollection of them. Then this other person came up to me, Actually, it was just like this other person walked into my house, walked all the way back to my lab and said that he knew me and he, that he worked with me before. And I'm just like, just reading some of this, it just doesn't make sense. Then there was another part in his book that actually kind of confused me is they found out about the Montauk project and they're just like, shit, we can't keep quiet about this. You know, we're going to get in trouble. They'll probably even try to kill us. So we have to tell somebody. So they went to a convention, told about a hundred people about this, and they said, Oh, it went viral, and people started talking about it, and they're just like, All right, now people know about it, we're safe. Then come to find out, some senator or something like that heard about it and was just like, Oh, I'm investigating this and all that. I need you to keep quiet. And then he says in his book, that's why I didn't talk about it until I wrote this book. And I'm like, But you went to a convention, told a bunch of people, but then you're saying that you never said a word.
1: So when he was being interviewed by Art Bell in that episode in 1994, he stated that the reason he could say the stuff he did about this project that he was a part of is because he didn't sign like an NDA with the government and they couldn't put him in prison for a long time. So he could talk about this. Now, there was other things he worked on with the government that he can't talk about because he signed an NDA with the government.
0: I saw that in the book, too. He's just like, I would go into that, but it's still top secret classified information, and I don't want to dive into that. Like, you're already talking about the Montauk Project, them doing experiments on kids and such, but yet you're still following that NDA that you supposedly signed?
1: Yeah. Hmm. All right, so we have that theory, which it's made up. So our first one is it's real. Second one, it's made up. So let's get into our third theory, which is called adrenochrome. So this theory assumes that, hey, the Montauk Project is real, that they really kidnapped thousands and thousands of kids. Now, the purpose for kidnapping them wasn't for time travel or psychic powers, but for farming adrenochrome. Now, the testing that was supposedly done on the kids would cause severe trauma, which would cause the kids to be very fearful. Kids are the number one source of adrenochrome when they are, you know, instilled with a shit ton of fear and they produce a shit ton of adrenochrome. This is why you don't hear really anything from the government concerning the Montauk Project. They're just sort of ignoring it like it was never brought up by Preston, you know, and the others. Uh, Some even connect this with the missing 411 people, you know, that go missing all the time within the national parks, that they get kidnapped and and used in these underground labs to uh, farm adrenochrome, which we have done an episode over adrenochrome. It is extremely good. Do not just kind of like say, oh, well, that's a conspiracy. It doesn't make any sense. We dive deep into that, and you can actually purchase that shit. That's true. It's real. So yeah, go listen to that episode. It's great. But uh, this theory is that the Montauk Project is real and that the kids were not used for time travel, but instead that was a cover story this Montauk Project is for the government actually using the kids for adrenochrome
0: farming. Hmm. That's a deep one. Which, I mean, that's who they seem to be targeting with this experiment that was taking kids and experimenting on them, causing severe trauma, breaking them down to... Supposedly implant different programs in them.
1: Now, there is another theory that all of this stuff is true and that uh, it was actually a way for the government to see if children can be brainwashed early on and then manipulated to be sort of, I guess, I guess you could say mind-controlled so they could be controlled in, or turned into sheep later on in life. And then they took this knowledge the government did about like how to knowledge, knowledge about how to brainwash these kids, you know, into certain traumas that they give them in certain frequencies, and they use that in YouTube or other programs to sort of brainwash the kids early on, so that later on they can become I don't know better consumers or easier sheep to control, so that the government can stay in power. That was another theory.
0: Hmm. So saying like this was happening in like the late seventies to early eighties, those kids say, I think they were saying like the kids could be as young as like four years old that they started. Well, we got Andy who was, was two. Yeah. So how old would they be now? Like 40 or 50? I'm not good at math. Quick maths. Quick math. So yeah, close to 40, we'll say. Okay. I mean, those would be people that would be watching YouTube and such. What? No, they wouldn't have watched YouTube. Their kids would have watched
1: YouTube, maybe, or their kids' kids. Four-year-olds
0: watch YouTube. I'm not talking
1: about the kids back then in the 70s. I thought you meant, like, you, you're talking about the, the kids that, that were four years old who were subjected to the Montauk Project. Yeah. And, and it, then, like, 40, 50 years later, which is now, they implement their studies and their discoveries into YouTube, saying, like, hey, these certain frequencies work better to you know warp a child's view into a certain way and they're implementing them now
0: i see what you're talking about yeah hmm in either way it's manipulating somebody then they're manipulating their own youngins. yeah
1: all right so i got to ask you dan guess we're going into personal thoughts and theories i got to ask you does the montauk project exist okay disregard everything that we talked about what it what it is Did this project exist?
0: Honestly, when I first read about it in 2019, I didn't read deep into it. Because, I mean, I had the theory of Bigfoot being, you know, manifested through this Montauk chair. So, I wanted to believe that it was real. You know, it seemed kind of cool, but then... After actually researching more into it, it's well, like,
1: t- t- well, take away everything you learned about in your research. Do you believe the government has a project called the Montauk Project, or previously had one called the Montauk Project?
0: Yeah, I'll go with it.
1: Do you believe that this Montauk Project is what we talked about today that is pretty much what Nichols describes in his book as an underground laboratory where the government conducts secret experiments on children As a way to, you know, do mind control and open up time travel
0: portals. Kind of, sort of. Some of the stuff he says, I don't agree with. Some of it I do. I mean, granted, I do think they kidnap kids. I do think that they probably use them to try to open up portals. And I'm going to assume that some of these kids did not survive with the amount of stress it probably put on their bodies. So that's why they kept kidnapping kids. Because I mean... Ronald Reagan back then said it was like a million kids per year were going missing and such. They were expendable. Orphans, runaways, drug addict kids. Yeah, those little damn kids running
1: around, those little drug addict kids, those little (laughs) kids addicted to meth. God. The kids of drug
0: addicts, okay? But yeah, like, I mean, they had access to that and honestly, back then, it's not like they could, it's not like now how they could keep track of kids and put out alerts and everything super fast. By the time, I guess, a kid would was kidnapped, it was probably like a day or two later and they were probably already gone. Yeah, and I think they used homeless people too. I believe they did use homeless people. So it wasn't just kids, but pretty much anyone that no one would really think about.
1: So what do you think truly happened?
0: Uh, Honestly, I think the program's still going on. That Preston, I don't think he got it 100% correct, but he got close enough to where they're just like, shit. You know, someone might actually believe this guy. Let's move this somewhere else. Because uh, was it it was either Andy or I think it was Andy who said that he sat in a Montauk chair in Montauk, but also in Atlanta. So that means that they have other locations that they're working. So I think they just up and left Montauk area and they cleared out that place because. You can go there now and people broken into there and gone look around and it's like empty. So they took everything.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm going to have to agree somewhat. I think that the Montauk Project was a real project. I, I think the government was conducting experiments with children to see what they could discover. I don't think that they opened up a time portal and traveled through it and gathered information and got Aleister Crowley or Crowley, however you pronounce his last name to like help with this. I don't think that happened. I think that's inserted to get people to discredit the entire thing. I do think that the government used these children as a way to figure out how the mind works for them to study it and then to figure out, hey, how do these frequencies affect children and how do these children develop on later in life? And then they use that to their advantage. The government does. And they put those frequencies in televisions. They put them... You know, on YouTube videos, on ads. And uh, it's a way for them to program us as humans to do their bidding.
0: And as crazy as that sounds, that's what I truly believe. I mean, it doesn't really sound that crazy. And I do agree. I think the Aleister Crowley thing, honestly, I don't think it was to discredit. That's where I think that I think some of this stuff is made up. You know, when someone, this is how I say, when someone tells a lie, When they start trying to throw too many things to try to prove that lie, it just, it's like they're digging a deeper hole. It just doesn't work. But yet they're like, but I have this as well. This goes with this. Oh yeah, we have this. This happened around the same time. This could go well with it. It's like all this stuff happened at this time. We could just combine it and I mean, it makes sense in some way. Yeah. So it's like some of the stuff I don't believe. I don't believe they needed Aleister Crowley for his. Magical abilities. I think they tried to open up portals. Were they successful? Probably not. But I do believe that they tried to test it on the kids. And they probably did do the frequency thing.
1: Yeah, I'm right there with you. We're on the same wavelength.
0: Are we in Montauk chairs?
1: All right, well, if you are a loved one, were a part of the Montauk project, or you're a Montauk boy or girl, send us an email. We would love to hear from you. That we would. With that being said, do you have anything else that you would like to add to today's episode, Dan? I think that's it. All right. Well, that is the end of today's episode, The Montauk Project. I hope everyone enjoyed it. And uh, again, if anyone has an on the scene that they want to submit, make sure you email it to us. You email it to either Dan, D-A-N, at theoriesofthethirdkind.com, or you can email it to Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at theoriesofthethirdkind.com. And We will play it at the end of our show uh, next week. So what is on the scene? An on the scene is where an individual uh, from around the world, it could be anybody, it could be the person listening right now, they take their phone and they interview either a individual, a random individual, a family member, or themselves, and they give their personal opinions and theories about current conspiracy happenings. Now anyone can do this, meaning you, yes you, the person listening to this. All you got to do is take your phone, uh, record yourself with it, make sure it's less than two minutes long, and make sure there is no music in the background, and then email us that audio file, and we will put it in line to play at the end of the show each week. And this week, we do not have any on the scenes. And if you submitted a previous one and we haven't played it, there's probably a reason why. You may have music in the background, or it might have been horrible quality. Okay? So resubmit it if you submitted one. Or, hey, it might have went to spam as well. So if you submitted one, resubmit it, and uh, we'll stick it in line to play. There it is. All right. Well, with that being said, I want to thank you for joining us today. And again, thank you for your support. You are all amazing, every single one of you. I love you all, and I am proud of each and every one of you. So with that being said, Dan, you want to roll us out? Sure will.
0: It's okay to be out of this world with your thoughts.
1: Because you are not alone.